morning. It was nice to hear uh, some more music this morning. I, I enjoy that. Thank you, Jill. Um, on Wednesday night, we, we, uh, we prayed for a young lady that uh, she had lost eyesight in one of her eyes. Um, I actually happened to play golf yesterday with her father-in-law. I did not realize who he was until we started talking about it. And uh, he told me that she has regained sight in that eye, and she's actually going back to work on Monday. So that's a, a, a praise for us. Um, I want to start off by saying Kate and I, uh, we, we watched a documentary a little while back about the uh, U.S. women's Olympic team, uh, Olympic gymnastics team. And the documentary really focused on... Um, the team, but also a doctor that had done some terrible things. He was a trainer for the team. Um, and uh, <clears throat> part of the documentary focused on their coach. And his name was Bella uh, Carosi. Caroli? Bella Caroli. And um, he's a world famous coach in, in the gymnast uh, realm. He was, uh, he coached Mary Lou Retton. He coached um, Nadia Comaneci. But what I remember him from is carrying uh, Carrie Scrub. You remember her? Uh, she was a gymnast. She broke her ankle, and he carried her up onto the podium to receive her uh, gold medal. Um, if you're not familiar with that, that it was 96 Olympics. Uh, Carrie Strug had a chance to win gold for the U.S. team, and uh, she had a score high on the, the vault. And part of the vault is you have to sprint down the runway from like one end of the gym to the other is what it looks like do some kind of backflip somersault thing hit the springboard go off the pommel horse and then land on your feet without falling over well her first attempt went badly she didn't fully turn over and her feet went out from under her and she fell and she said she heard a snap I'm at the age where if anything snaps in my body, it's never a good thing. Well, for her, what ended up happening was she tore two ligaments in her ankle. And that score did not score high enough for the U.S. to win gold. But she had one more opportunity. But here she's got two torn ligaments in her ankle. And on her second attempt, with a badly injured ankle, she had uh, Bella Caroli is encouraging her. He's saying, you can do it. He, he's he's uh, from Europe. He's, he's got this uh, accent where, you can do it. You can do it, Carrie. And she's standing there, and, and, and you can tell she's just trying to test out that ankle because it hurts her so bad. But he was encouraging her. He, he, was, he was letting her know that he was behind her, that, that she could do it. In our second attempt, with that badly injured ankle, you should see her sprinting down the runway. And the, the camera just kind of focuses on her face and the intensity that she has and how focused she is on what she is about to do. And she does that somersault, cartwheel, back handspring thing, hits the board, hits the pommel horse, and lands practically on one foot without moving. And she ends up scoring high enough on that to win the U.S. the gold. Um, and that's how I've always thought of the guy, because that's all I've seen of him, really. It was just him being very encouraging, 
Um, to, to be very, he was very excited anytime somebody scored real well. He was just excited. He, he would celebrate. He would cheer. Um, and then I see him caring for his athletes. He would hug them. He, he would pick them up and, and give them big bear hugs. He seemed like kind of like the, the, the fatherly or grandfatherly figure in a lot of these young girls' lives. But the documentary showed kind of a different side of him that I, I hadn't really thought about and hadn't seen. Um, if you were good enough to make the Olympic team as a female gymnast, you would go to see him and, and he would take you and the whole team to this, it was almost like a compound that was out in the woods. You were away from everything. There was nothing else around you. And all these girls did the whole time they were there was eat, sleep, and train. That was it. They had nothing else to do. They, and apparently he was very demanding of them. He was very hard on them. He had very high expectations. And these girls had to give up a lot to be there. They had to give up family. They had to give up friends. You got to remember, these are young teenagers giving up so much. They gave up normal uh, experiences that, that kids would have had at that, that age. Going to school dances and school events and, and hanging out with their friends and going to the mall. They, they gave up all of these things. They made sacrifices. And they did not want to disappoint their coach, Bella Caroli. They looked up to him. You know, in a lot of ways, this man was their world. Right? It, it was their dream to train under him. And I say all that to say this. When you live for Christ, when you are saved, when you recognize that the words in this book teach us how to live our lives, we're going to have to realize that there's some sacrifices that we're going to need to make. This book is not just all rainbows and puppies. It's not all just happy things. There's going to be some serious sacrifices that we need to make in our lives. But if you love Christ, you should want to make those sacrifices for him. You should want to practice the things that we read in the scriptures because we want to please him. And if you don't feel that conviction over doing the things that this book tells us to do, that speaks of a far bigger issue. So I was talking to Kate the other day. Uh, we were driving to her, her chemo appointment in Lexington, and I told her that I feel like God has laid on my heart recently that, that too many of the messages um, have been focused on the, on the training and not enough on the celebrating. Like, I, I feel like a lot of the, the messages have been very, this is what we need to be doing. This, and and we, we, those are good things. We, we need to know how we are to live our lives, but at the same time, we need to know who we're living them for. We need to know his goodness. We need to know why we're doing these things. You know, I, I preach so much about not wanting Callaway to fall into that candy store Christianity uh, trap that, that, that so many churches fall into. But at the same time, we, we, we can't be like the Pharisees. We, we, we can't look at this book as, as a bunch of laws and rules that we have to be uh, better than our neighbor at following, correct? We can't think that just living these words out to the best of our ability is what's going to earn our way into heaven. You cannot earn your way into heaven. Only Jesus can get us there. And it's Jesus that's going to carry you to the podium and place the crown of life on your head.
So I want to take a look at some scriptures today that reminds us of just how great God is. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, only three verses today, verses 44 through 46. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. And when you found it, if you're physically able, we would ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew 13, starting in verse 44, the, the word of God says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one, one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity that you're giving us to come together in your house to, to worship you, to, to be with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we just ask that you would allow us to feel your presence here. We ask that you would, would speak to our hearts, really impress on our hearts the words that you would have us take away. Lord, we love you, and we just ask that you would be with us. Speak to our hearts today as your servants are listening. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think most Christians would say when they hear this parable that it's about finding salvation. Um, and once you've found that salvation, that it's worth giving up everything you have to obtain it. They would say that heaven is worth more than any of the possessions that we can accumulate here on earth. Um, and that should speak a lot to us today. You know, we become more interested in our possessions, the, the, the material things that we have, than we do caring and living for Christ. Um, I, I know... Oftentimes, I'll just look around our house, and I'll see things, and I'm thinking, the Lord wants us to, to, to live well. He wants us to enjoy the things that we have here on earth, but at the same time, where's the line? Like, did I need that? Did I have to spend that much money on this? It, where is that line of material things and what we should be giving back to God? And... It, these parables, they kind of make us remember the rich young ruler, right? The story of the rich young ruler that comes up to J Jesus and says, listen, I want to follow you. What, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, well, just go and sell all of your things and then you come follow me. G give all that money to the poor and follow me. Um, but he couldn't do that. He, he was more interested in his material possessions, the, the, the things that he could buy. And he walked away sad because he knew that for whatever reason he could not give up those things. He loved them too much. They meant more to him than following Christ. And we can look at the scripture and say all those things that, that, that you know, we think we need don't mean anything, right? We, we should be willing to give them all up for Christ. And, and, and on the surface, that's it, kind of what this, these parables look like. But something should jump out to you that tells you that it might not be the proper or the right interpretation of this scripture. First thing is, is there anything you can do to buy your way into heaven? There's nothing you can do. Of course not. 
Now, I, 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 you can give away everything. I, I, I could drive home today, pick up a homeless family on the way home and, and say, here, I, I'm giving you my house. You, you can have my house. You can have it all. Just let me grab my toothbrush and change of clothes. I'll show you how to work the remotes. And it's yours. I could give away everything. But if my heart's not right with Christ, giving away your things does not matter. Right? Material possessions does not matter in that way. It means nothing if your heart isn't right. If there was a way to do that, if there was a way to buy your way into heaven, to, 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 to purchase your way, to give away things, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. It wouldn't have had to happen. Something else that doesn't make sense if we interpret the parable that way is the man finds which would be salvation, uh, that he is going to sell all that he owns to buy it. We know salvation is free, so what else is wrong with that? Salvation is not something you find. It's not something you stumble over. It's always there. God is pursuing you with it. It's not something you have to look for. It's not hidden from you. Even if it was something that you had found, would a true Christian find salvation and then hide it from others? You see where I'm going with this? This interpretation of the parables did not make, a, a, make sense to me. But Jesus doesn't explain this part of the parable. He, he explains many of his parables. This is not one or two that he explains. So how do we go about interpreting these two parables. It's all about the context. Chapter 13 of Matthew is all parables. The whole thing is just parables. There's a parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and the tares, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leavened bread, the parable of the, was it, the dragnet. It's all parables, the entire thing. But we need to take what we just read in the context of the other parables. So very quickly, if you look at the parable of the sower and the seeds, we all know this one where, where the farmer had gone out or the sower had gone out and he, he spread seed around. Some of it fell on uh, rocky soil and the birds ate it up quickly or fell on the path. Birds ate it up quickly. Some of it fell on very shallow ground and it sprouted up quickly. The sun hit it and it died off. Some fell amongst the weeds and then some fell on good soil. But when you look at that parable, who was, the, who was the man in that parable? Who was the sower? It was God. God was the person in it. And what were the seeds? We were the seeds. Humans were the seeds. And what did the field represent? The field represented the world. The next parable of the wheat and the tares. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. The good seed was the wheat. And then when the men were asleep, the enemies came and they sowed tares amongst the wheat. Well, who was... I'm sorry? Weeds. Weeds. Wheat. No, they, they sowed tares amongst the wheat. I'm sorry. Did I say weeds? No, I was thinking tares is like weeds. Yeah, it is. They... The evil, the evil men sowed tares or weeds among the wheat. You're right. Well, who was the good, who was the man that sowed, that sowed the wheat? It was God. Who is the wheat that he sowed? It's us. 
And what is the field that he sowed it in? It's the world. The parable of the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. Well, who's the man? God. Who is the seed? Who is the object? We are. What is the field? The world. So in all three of these parables, the person represents God, the seed or the object represents humans, and the field represents the world. So why then, when we get to these two parables, do we suddenly become the man? That doesn't make any sense. Each one of these parables, he starts off with the word again. Again, this would indicate he's repeating a thought or idea that he's previously spoken about. If we keep God as the man in both of these parables, and we remain the object as we have throughout the entire chapter, what does the parable tell us about how God sees us? He sees us as his treasure. You see where it says the kingdom of heaven? Again, the kingdom of heaven. That's actually interchangeable. That, that, that phrase, kingdom of heaven, is interchangeable with the words kingdom of God. It's all the kingdom of God. And who makes up that kingdom of God? We do. We make up his kingdom. We are his children. So he sees us as his treasure. And he's talked about this through the entire, he, all the way back in Exodus. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, God says, You shall be my treasured possession. And who is he talking about? He's talking about Israel. He's talking about his people. So what does being a treasure actually mean? Right? My Bible could be my treasure. But if you offered me 20 bucks for it, I'd take your $20 and I'd just buy a new one. So what does a treasure really mean? What is a treasure really worth to people. Something is only worth as much as someone is willing to pay for it. There's been a couple baseball cars that have sold recently for millions of dollars. They, they have groups that get together, like a group of people with a lot of money and um, apparently not enough sense, and they just buy million-dollar baseball cars. But you and I may think that's silly. I think that's silly. Maybe you don't. We may think that's silly, but to them, it's worth it. It's worth what they're willing to pay for it. It seems silly to me that anybody would, would, would see me as a treasure, that they would, they would pay anything for me. But that's how God sees us. How much was the man willing to pay for the treasure? How much was Jesus willing to pay for you? Everything. Jesus gave it all. He treasures you so much that he's willing to go to the cross and die for you so that you could be reconciled to the Father. Why? That can't be right. No one would give their life for me. I'm too messed up, especially if that person knew everything I've done. How could he give his own life for somebody like me? Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Even in our messed up state, even as bad a person as we might be, God saw something in us. He saw treasure in us. We are his treasure. And he loves us so much that he knew that we were worth it. He knew everything you were ever going to do and you were still worth it to him. So much so that he was willing to endure the cross. You are his treasure. And that's how he sees you. If you ever wonder how much you're worth to God, you're worth everything. What about the pearl? What about the pearl? You know how precious pearls were back in that day? Very, very precious. They didn't have the equipment that we had. They didn't have snorkels and, 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 and scuba gear and, and flippers to put on their feet to dive down and, and get these oysters off the bottom of the sea. What they had to do was they had to tie a rock to themselves so that the rock would pull them down quickly so they could scoop up as many oysters as they could, untie themselves from the rock, and then come back up to the surface. That's a dangerous thing to do. A lot of people would die doing it. And I, I heard last night, I was, I was watching, it said uh, only about 1 in 10,000 oysters actually produce a, a, a pearl that would be considered valuable. 1 in 10,000. And they had to tie a rock to themselves, throw themselves over, overboard to scoop these things up over and over every day just to try and find something that is valuable. Do you know how a pearl is made? We were in Hawaii. We, we went to, we, you shucked a, uh, they call it shucking? I don't know. And they probably told us how they're made, but I wasn't paying attention there. But last night, I watched a video uh, from National Geographic explaining how pearls are made. A pearl starts off as just a grain of sand that gets into the opening of an oyster. And what it does is it irritates the inside of that oyster. And the oyster, it, what, it, what it'll do is it'll secrete this fluid that starts uh, in, encasing that grain of sand. And after a long period of time, after thousands of layers of, of, of this secretion, a pearl is formed. And if you think about it, we've all probably felt like a grain of sand, small, meaningless in the grand scheme of things, probably even annoying or irritating to God. But remember, just like that grain of sand irritated the oyster, and the oyster covering the grain of sand with the fluid uh, that would eventually become a pearl, you may be small. You may be a little irritating. But if you've been covered by the blood of Christ, you become a valuable pearl to him. A pearl so valuable, God sent his son to die for you. Jesus paid it all for you. That's what it means when, when, when you hear that you've been redeemed, right? Redeemed means that you've been purchased at a price. And the price was death. The price was death on a cross. And as I was going through this, I thought that would probably be a, a good place to end. To, to know that, that God loved you so much that, that he was willing to send his son to die for you on a cross. Because you were that 
precious to him. You were that much of a treasure to him. You were, that, you were worth it to him. But there was something else that was interesting that uh, came up when I was looking at pearls. Um, do you know what can damage a pearl? Sweat. Perspiration. In fact, if you Google it, Google will tell you you should not work out while wearing pearls in case anybody was thinking of getting dressed up to go to the gym. Do you know what can harm your relationship with God? Sweat. Thinking you can work hard enough to get your way into heaven. To think that he's not enough, that there's something that you could actually have to do to get to heaven. I don't care how much you sweat trying to work your way into heaven. It will never work. The price has already been paid because you are worth everything to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for for giving us the opportunity to come into your house just to hear a word from you. Lord, we know you love us. And and Lord, I pray that you would press on our hearts that... um, we, we, we can't work our way into heaven, Lord. The, the, the gift of salvation is free. Lord, you mean so much to us, and, and, and you've done so much in our lives. You paid the ultimate price for us. Lord, I, I pray that we would not hide your, your salvation, the, the, the free gift from others. Lord, I pray that you'll put somebody before us, that we can show what you've done in our lives, that we can show what, what your son did on the cross for us that we can explain to them how much you love them and how, how treasured they are in your eyes. Lord, I ask you.